0: Härligt välkommen till ett nytt program här på Israelkanalen. I detta program så tar jag med till Jerusalem och vi ska möta en spännande gäst som har mycket spännande att när det gäller dette här med att förstå det gamla testamentet. Welcome to Israelkanalen Halvor.
1: Mange tack.
0: Uh, you are obviously not too familiar with the Norwegian language, but you have Norwegian's
1: Uh, Ancestors.
0: So tell me a little bit about your background.
1: I would go back to my two grandfathers who were both born in Norway. Uh, My father's father, Ibu Itelemark, and father of my mother in the, the area of Rydberg in Umedal. And so they both ended up in the States. One of them, Hulver, as a young man already, and he went to study at Red Wing Theological Seminary, which was the seminary for the free church people. And he was a pastor in southern Minnesota for a short time but he had a call to go to China and the general annual meeting of the Hauge Synod decided to wait a year but he and some of the younger pastors didn't want to wait another year so during a break during the convention they had their own meeting just outside the church with Grandpa Halver standing in a wagon box uh, with a horse-pulled wagon and deciding that they would form their own little society and already send out three people, Halver and his sister Thea, and a young woman from northern Iowa, Hannah Röerheim, Roram, from the island of Umbo off of Stavanger, so uh, that's the beginnings of the story, how they came to the States, and how my grandfather, Halver, ended up in Norway, and he eventually, very early on, I think at the end of the trip across to China, married Hannah already, there wouldn't be any rooming complications in that way, okay.
0: and so then
1: uh, they were there for many years, uh, seven children, uh, all of them born in Norway except the middle one, who was conceived in Norway but born in Radcliffe, Iowa, that's my father Talbert, okay. and so he grew up in China, my father.
0: But that was uh, the Hans Nielsen Hauge movement? That's right. Yeah.
1: Well, just to give a little story of what that can do to a person, my grandfather Halver from uh, Otterholt, Bø Telemark, was quite a good ski jumper. And in one certain competition, they had to do two jumps. And the first jump, his was the longest. The second jump, he's standing at the top of the ski jump. He said, why am I doing this? I'm doing this for worldly recognition. And he was so ashamed that he took off his skis and didn't make the skek and jump. And so they say, running lost his nerve. (laughs) Well, that wasn't the case. It was he had enough nerve to listen to that inner voice that uh, he was destined to care for other things than for worldly recognition.
0: So you were born into a, a Christian family that were devoted to missionary work, and and in that environment you also got caught up in that.
1: Very much so. I was born in the British hospital in Beijing, China, because I was too big a baby for my athletic mother, so it had to be a cesarean operation. So that's my beginning. Yeah. <clears throat>
0: But uh, back in the States, uh, you
1: you
0: completed uh, an academic career in uh, what topics?
1: When I went to college, it was just a matter of course that I would go to the same college from which my father and mother had graduated, and that was St. Olaf College and with its history coming primarily, I think, from the Norwegian Lutheran Church. And there, I was going to uh, study medicine to be a medical missionary. But in the course of those university studies, I lost my faith because I began questioning Maybe I believe only because my parents believe and I honor their belief but I don't want to be believing something so serious as the matter of believing in Jesus for salvation if it's not true, if it's just one more of the world religions and so I became an agnostic for a couple years at St. Olaf Lutheran College. But I had an ethics teacher, because they were at that time, I think mostly for sure, maybe all of them, actual believing professors and teachers. And he said, sometimes revelation doesn't come like a lightning strike or thunder, but a completely everyday moment suddenly becomes transparent and and you realize what God wants of you and the moment he said that I looked in the direction of living a life without God and it was dark mm-hmm. and I looked in the other direction of life with God and it was light and I fled toward the light and as I was walking with a friend to the next class, he said, "What happened, Halvor?" Because he could see that I was in some special mood, yeah. <laughs> and uh, that's where I thank God <laughs> received my own personal faith. Yeah,
0: but th- that led you to, to to fulfill your studies and. But tell me how you got involved with Bible translations then.
1: Well, then I actually changed my uh, goal of my studies to philosophy. And when I graduated, I decided that I would apply for a Fulbright scholarship to England. And my professor told me, you don't have a chance because it's English speaking. There'll be so many applicants so why don't you apply for Germany? Well, I only had two years of college German, so I went to my German professor, and I don't know how I had this much Israeli spirit in advance. I said to the professor, I know that you know that I don't know enough German to qualify for this scholarship, but if you'll sign that I do know enough, I promise I'll spend the whole summer doing nothing but studying German. And to my surprise, I got the scholarship. So I went in Chicago, where my father was pastor. They had German Lutheran church services. They had Deutsche Kino. They had movie theater in German. I took German at the University of Chicago. I found a lonely old German lady who was happy to have somebody to practice conversing with, and so I ended up in Germany. Now what does that have to do with Israel? My roommate was from a prayer group of Germans and whose father was the pastor, and they were that kind of people that understood that God is doing something with Israel today. Yeah. And so he was really the one who influenced me, Gottlob Hess. He went to volunteer on a kibbutz for three months. He came back, and I was running this old-fashioned slide camera where you put one slide in and push it, take it out the other side. And he went traveling to several churches speaking about his three months in Israel. And I'm running the slide projector. So he's the one who... God used to breathe an Israel interest in me. Interesting. Yeah.
0: So, when was your first uh, trip to Israel
1: then? Well, I found out when I was in seminary already, because that's where I went after uh, Germany, to three years in seminary. A Messianic Jewish fellow came and spoke uh, to our, what did we call it? Uh, club of unmarried seminarians, but uh, we had another name for it, and he mentioned the Israel American Institute of Biblical Studies had a five-month program in Jerusalem that was just about a year or two old, and that caught my interest, and I applied and was accepted, and so that's my first exposure was Uh, in an institute formed by Dr. G. Douglas Young of Trinity Theological Seminary, Deerfield, Illinois, just north of Chicago. And he was deeply understanding of God's working with Israel and the return to Israel. And so that really clinched... (laughs) Uh, as I had field trips all around the country and fell in love with the land.
0: Yeah. Did you feel like some so many other Christians feel when they come to Israel, that they come home?
1: Not that strongly at that time. It was something that developed once I was here because I never thought of staying in Israel. With my background, I pretty much was ready for the fact that I probably wouldn't be living in the states but I didn't have a clue where in fact thank God for the seminary president when I was a seminary listen to his unusual call to us young seminarians he said look at this commission repentance and forgiveness of sins are to be preached in my name to all nations He said, if you don't have a call to stay in the United States, the call to all of you young pastors is that you will be looking where he may be calling you abroad. (laughs) And only if you have a call to stay in the States should you think of taking a position in the States. So that was a really uh, mission-minded president of the seminary. I thank God for him, Elvin Rodness.
0: Okay, so that led you then to move to Israel?
1: Well, I realized that from what little Hebrew I studied in five months, I wanted more. So I signed up for one of these Ulpanim, language school in Israel, five months school and you studied five hours every morning, in the afternoon you did the homework, and then you came back for more the next day. And in my class of about 20 students, there were Jews from 18 different countries. And I got exposed to that, these people who were becoming interested in their own heritage and coming to the land. there's much more to the story. But then I started getting more interested in Israel. And one of the students there told me, I got a scholarship from the Israeli government to study at the Hebrew University. So I put that in my mind and forgot about it. Okay. But then we laugh, my wife and I, that I'm in Israel because of green bananas. I was a young student and I was trying to save money. Mm and one evening meal was only (laughs) a few bananas and got terrible stomachache. So I couldn't go to school the next morning, but then about 10 o'clock it went away, and I thought, no, it's too late for the class. Let me go and check about this scholarship. So I went to the Ministry of Education and Culture and was asking, 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 and one clerk to the next, to the next. I ended up in an office where he said, you're too late. You have to apply in your home country, and then apply. Those applications come to us. But I can't tell you that you have no chance at all, because I sit on the committee that makes the last decisions. So I said, well, if I have any chance, please give me the forms. And he did, and I forgot all about it. Mm. And toward the end of the old pond, months later, I get a little letter in the envelope that says, You've received a full scholarship for a year at the Hebrew University. Well, during that year, I met my wife, who grew up in this country, and my fate was more or less settled that with that kind of a background, I was being called to Israel.
0: Wonderful. So when when you uh, got that scholarship, was it then settled that you would go into Hebrew studies, Old Testament?
1: Well, I actually... Received the scholarship, uh, thinking still of my philosophy. uh, Bachelor of Arts degree from St. Olaf. And I chose, however, because of the influence of a Baptist pastor whose congregation I was attending in Jerusalem, to go into... Hebrew background of the New Testament studies. And, of course, they don't have a New Testament department at the Hebrew University, but they have a department of comparative religion where you can study uh, Christianity. And there, my good fortune was to study under a Czechoslovakian Jew who loved Greek And he wanted to read everything that Jews had written in ancient Greek. So, of course, one of the major documents is the Greek New Testament. And he learned to love Jesus. David Flusser, I don't think he was ever baptized, but he loved Jesus. He said, if I find something in the Gospel of Mark, for example, that I don't like, that Jesus said, then I'll, I'll, I'll... if there's something that Jesus says and I don't like it I'll try to blame it on one of the gospel writers that they didn't understand him rightly but if I don't succeed I accept it because he's my master so somebody with that kind of a love and respect for Jesus together with the Baptist pastor were what got me into this matter of the Hebrew background of the synoptic gospels and that's my personal deepest heart is the pastoral value of understanding the Hebrew background of the Synoptic Gospels and how it can free young seminarians from all these undermining teachings that you're given that leave you with Jesus only as a nice man and an ethical teacher, We're not the savior of the world. And so uh, that study, however, then tied me to Israel, and in that, I stayed a second year after that scholarship. It was a good scholarship. And during the second year, I met Miria. Her wife. And uh, was thinking then how to get back to Israel. Yeah. And when I came back, I became a teacher at that institute, Israel American Institute of Biblical Studies. And what I was teaching was geography of the bible so my wife is the language of the bible since she grew up here and my main work in israel has been the land of the bible
0: so you went more into the the geography of the land
1: yeah yeah because of seeing how enlightening it is when you can see the places that Mm. you're reading about that are just a name or a Little dot on a black and white map or something, and here you are 3D in the location where David fought Goliath, and you can see where was the hill where the Israelites were, and where were the Philistines, and picture the. You see the little brook where he picked up the stones. <laughs>
0: yeah, when I when I read the Old Testament uh, and read about the history of of the Israelites and read about all the names, where they were, and uh, what happens there and there. And I often look up in a biblical atlas and to find the exact spot, And because a lot of those names are uh, unfamiliar to me. I mean, like, Bethlehem and, and Sichem and places like that, you know. But there are so many other small place small, uh, names that uh, for me, at least, are unfamiliar and I would guess for many, many more, it's just a name. But when you can uh, at least find out where it was, or maybe some names have lost their connection to the, the place. Uh, and Is it a lot of guesswork behind this?
1: Well, uh, there are so many names that have meaning. Uh, For example, the Valley of Elah, where David fought Goliath. Elah is a certain kind of terebinth, kind of an oak tree. And here are a number of these trees growing along the little brook. And so you understand where the name came from. Or King Saul was from Gibeah. Well, it's Giv'ah, which means a, a, a raised point, a hill. And not far from Giv'ah is Geba, which is where Jonathan was climbing up a steep, almost cliff with his armor bearer in the neighborhood of a town called Hill. And not far away is a town called Giv'on. And that's where Joshua offered that prayer, son stand still over give on over Gibeon so and and right in that same area is the hometown of Samuel Rama which is elevated and so here are four towns in that same area having to do with the fact that they're up in the hills and uh, uh, geographical names that actually have meaning and then uh, you can picture them and uh, see how they got their names even yeah
0: uh, because I, th- I think it's very fascinating to to see, you know, how names uh, also have been preserved even though the Jewish connection has been away for maybe 2,000 years or so. Uh, still, uh, you can find, you know, maybe in the Arabic uh, Ex- version.
1: It fits exactly with what I was just saying. Yeah. For example, on a part of the hill where ancient Giv'on, in English, Gibeon is located, there's an Arab village called Jib, from the Gib, and uh, the hometown of Samuel, Rama, is Eram, and the villages where Joshua chased the fleeing Canaanites in the Bible called Upper Beth Horon and Lower Beth Horon, now in Arabic are Beit Ur El-Fok, the upper, Beit Ur El-Tacht, the lower. So many of the names have been preserved over thousands of years, you know, and the form has changed, but you can still even hear the similarity that the the Biblical Hebrew name was the basis for that name. Mm.
0: So when you started to work with all this, um, did it change your your direction?
1: Well, very much so, because as I was teaching Biblical Geography, uh, my wife was teaching Biblical Hebrew at this, what now is called Jerusalem University College and she had maybe two or three people who were Bible translators who understood it would be better if we were translating from the original and not from German and English or Chinese, you know, making translations of translations because out of the 7,000 languages in the world, there are only less than 750 that have the whole Bible, mostly translated not from Hebrew, not from the original, with all the insights that come from that, but from European languages to other languages. And so she's the one who had the idea there really should be a place for Bible translators, specifically for Bible translators, that they could have a home environment where we take care of everything, so all they have to do is eat, sleep, and study Hebrew, (laughs) and go on field trips in the land. Mm. And that was the original insight uh, of this Finnish woman with a Norwegian-American husband being inspired by a few people that came and realized the importance and then to really make a beginning of a movement out of it. But it was very pioneer work 26 years ago.
0: Yeah, that sounds very interesting. Uh, we have to... Uh, he- Hear more about that. But uh, that we have to do that in another program. So uh, we're looking very, very much forward to hear more about your story about this centre that we are in the middle of in the library where there are a lot of books of the with the biblical uh, subjects. And so thank you for this opportunity, Halvor. And uh, looking forward for the next program. Vi ska komma tillbaka till ett nytt intervju med Halvor Rønning och lära mer om detta center för bibelöversättare här i Jerusalem. Passional.